welcome back. And we're ready to go into our next panel here, which is going to discuss uh, rebuilding California and underserved populations. Uh, it's a business panel. We have three folks who with us today who are uh, have, have had some experience in creating jobs and starting up businesses. And we think that their perspective on this is very important. As I mentioned, we're going to need pro-growth policies generally as California rebuilds in the wake of COVID. But we want to be sure that minority and low income and underserved populations generally are able to be part of that growth. So we're looking forward to what they have today uh, to say today, both on economic growth generally and on how we can target those, ex uh, those efforts to the people who need it most. Uh, we have with us today Jay King, who is the president and CEO of, the, of California's Black Chamber of Commerce, the largest African-American nonprofit business organization in the state. It represents hundreds of uh, small business and medium-sized businesses uh, in California, and uh, we look forward to uh, his participation. Uh, we have Ulian Canete, who's president and CEO of the California Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, uh, which develops uh, uh, helps development for Hispanic entrepreneurs and emerging Latino businesses. Uh, previously, he served as director of public policy and strategic partnerships for the California and Asian Pacific Chamber of Commerce. So he's got sort of a wide uh, variety of uh, expertise there. And finally, uh, we have Rob Lapsley with the Business Roundtable, uh, which is one of the biggest uh, business organizations in California and represents all these folks plus. So we'll be looking forward to all of them to uh, speak up here and uh, hope you'll be part of this once again with your questions as well. So I'm going to turn it over to Jay. Uh, you're up first. Thank you so much um, for having me. Uh, thank you to everybody who's attending. Uh, we are in some interesting times, as you all know. COVID-19 hasn't just affected uh, the Black community. It's affected America at large. And um, as the president of the California Black Chamber, not 40% of African-American small businesses are going to be wiped out because of COVID-19. And 95% um, of our businesses are sole proprietors. Just want you to think about that for a minute. 95% of our businesses are sole proprietors, <laughs> meaning, meaning that they have no employees, the employee is the owner of the business. So the African-American small business community was already um, struggling. So COVID-19 didn't help. And to me, we could look at COVID-19, the pandemic as a curse, or we can look at it as a restart, a reboot, if you will, a, a re directing of energy. And, um, and that's how I've chosen to look at it. And it's how I've taken it to my community that um, we get a chance because the world gets to restart all over again. Every the COVID affected every community the same, same way. We were already um, in, in, in a bad shape at the business community. So we didn't have as far to fall as some of the other communities. But here, I sit on small business councils for DGS, Caltrans, and high-speed rail. And 
Caltrans, I was on the phone yesterday with Tokes Amashakin, the director of Caltrans, and I am proposing that we create a coalition of all small businesses and the organizations that sit on the council that represent different fractions of small business, whether it's Asian, Hispanic, woman, uh, um, disabled vets, all the different disadvantaged groups that, uh, that are small businesses. And we coalition together to help them all so that we can avoid the Prop 209 discussion. If we're helping all small businesses, if we are putting micro businesses and small businesses in the same categories, not based on gender or race, but based on need, the ones that need the most that we put them in the category and we help them, the other ones that are maybe more functional and we help them in what their needs are. I think by doing this, instead of creating the divide that already exists in this country, that seems to be becoming more exacerbated by politics and by events that have taken place, what we start to do is build a cohesiveness, a togetherness. We change the culture of how we see each other because we're not picking one over the other. Now, and I can tell you historically what's happened in this country to African-Americans, and it wouldn't be a beautiful picture that I'd be painting. What happened in this country, what the government allowed to happen in this country to African-Americans is horrible. Whole communities wiped out. But having that conversation isn't going to help us. What's going to help us is the conversations we have about how we become Americans right now. How we start to make sure that our communities that are suffering the most, how do we bring them up? Businesses that are suffering the most, how do we plug into those businesses and bring them up? Because by bringing them up, by bringing up those communities, what we do is we bring up California, we bring up California, we bring up the United States. We bring up the areas that are lagging, that are lacking. And in doing so, we make the country better. So I think we have to take politics out of our discussions. And we have to look at this situation from a bigger purview, not just from our little segment. So of course, I help African-American small businesses, but I help any small business. I don't care what color you are. I care about your need. And I believe as leadership, we have to change the conversation. We have to change the culture. We have to change the direction of this country and of these issues by taking race out of them and inserting humanity. And I believe we have to become better human beings because today we have a tough time being human. And so I think I'm a little different than your regular 
chamber president because it's not what I come from. I'm not versed in this part of the business. I'm versed in the mechanics of a business, man. I'm a business guy. I'm in the music business. That's how I started my career. I've had some great successes, won a couple of Grammys. Um, and music speaks to people in a way that drops barriers and color lines. And we have to make business like music. We have to make mu- business speak to people based on nothing except we want to see our country do and be better. We want to watch our businesses grow. We want to watch our economies grow. We want to watch our communities grow. We want, we want to build communities that can pour into our taxing system, our, our banking system, our business system. And the way we do that, in my opinion, is by inserting a lot of humanity and being human and look, looking beyond ourselves, looking beyond our own comfortable positions. Oftentimes we are comfortable around people we know, around people that agree with us, around people that look like us. I am, I strive to be uncomfortable because by being uncomfortable, I get better. By being uncomfortable, I love, I learn more. By being uncomfortable, I push myself to a higher space. And um, I would ask each of you to take the time today to get eyeball to eyeball with yourself. Look at yourself in the mirror and ask yourself, when was the last time you were uncomfortable to get better? And I believe that's what we have to do today. If we want to grow underserved communities, if we really want to help, then we have to get uncomfortable and we have to have uncomfortable conversations. Some of those conversations are about race. Some of them are about culture. In my opinion, the African-American community has to become more financially literate. And when we become financially literate, we'll change 100 years in 10. And just to give you a few stats about us here in California, there are 2.3 million African-Americans in the state of California. We make up 6.6% of the population. We spend $96 billion a year in the state of California. We have 137,000 small businesses in the state of California. Only 5% of them have one employee or more. So we are a great consumer. But when it comes to investment and businesses where we lack, and this is where our leadership has to get better. This is where our leadership has to have a different type of conversation. And this is where we need help from other communities that are solid in other areas as it relates to business. And that's why a coalition, that's why we have to learn how to talk to each other. We have to learn how to understand each other and we have to learn how to help each other. So I thank you all for inviting me here. 
And um, I look forward to any questions. Thank you very much. And uh, you certainly, I think, are going to make people stop and think. That that was really uh, in profound uh, sentiment there that you had there, very heartfelt. So I think people are going to stop and think about it, and I hope they are. Uh, next up is Julian, and uh, we're going to turn it over to you and let you uh, – it's a tough act to follow, but we'll let you let you give it a shot. Thank you, Michael. And um, it's it's always a, a pleasure and an honor to, to be on stage with, with Jay and, and Rob. Um, you know, you know, Jay speaks from the heart and uh, it's it's always great to hear his views because he brings a different perspective because he comes from a different background than maybe someone like myself or, or Rob who have been in, you know, the chamber biz for, for years and years. So uh, Jay is always opening our eyes uh, to new ideas, new concepts. But, you know, to get started, you know, we talk about an inclusive economy and, you know, I have to give it to it. And, and, I, and I'm going to give kudos here uh, to people like Jay, uh, but especially Rob Lasby. Um, you, you know, he's been working with our organizations and I know the Black Chamber on trying to create an inclusive economy for years uh, here in California. Um, but also all three of our organizations have worked towards pro-growth uh, policies. Uh, for years, even before COVID. Uh, it's just unfortunate that COVID has had, we, we've had to have COVID to bring it to light of, of, of our policymakers. Um, and, and also the fact of, of being very inclusive and, and, and the barriers and, and some of the roadblocks that our diverse communities, uh, people of color, um, and those businesses that are owned by people of color have faced over the years. I think we've recognized this for decades, right? And and now it's come to the forefront because of this pandemic, unfortunately. Um, so I, I think, you know, as we move forward, what we have to see is that, you know, the our communities in California have been faced by different barriers in different communities, you know, and the, and the Hispanic community, Latino community, there's oftentimes with entrepreneurs been a, a language barrier. And, you know, for us to have an inclusive economy, unfortunately, we, we, we have to be cognizant of those language barriers, those cultural differences that many of our individual uh, business owners and, and individuals in our communities face day in and day out. And that, that's really where uh, organizations like the Hispanic Chamber fit in, right? We we had started just before COVID a entrepreneur program, and and from that they were developing clients to do business advising to, business consulting to. Um, I talked to my team a couple months after, and, and they were telling me that they had almost three hundred clients, and I, I just kind of looked at them in, in amazement and said, three hundred clients." I go how the hell we get 300 clients? There are organizations who have been doing this for years that don't have 300 clients. And, you know, they told me it's, it was because we were inclusive. We were finally reaching out to the Spanish-speaking community. Believe it or not, the Hispanic Chamber all these years had not had a very aggressive programming towards, you know, one of the biggest demographics, uh, the Spanish-speaking. 
And, 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 and through that program, we, we saw the need of the importance of being inclusive. Um, and we've even done this on the LGBTQ side, right, of, of, of also making sure that they're inclusive within our organizations throughout California. And this is all prior to COVID. Um, now with COVID in place, you know, we, we've seen what has come to light is how much our communities lacked. Um, you know, diverse communities, people of color lacked in uh, what was knowledge uh, that they needed. You know, uh, we talk about the PPP loans, right? And why was there such a a a discrepancy in, in, in how many businesses of color were getting loans versus, um, you know, mainstream businesses? And, you know, one of the things we found was businesses lacked a banker, you know? Those businesses that had a banker, um, they were into the mix real quick, right? They were getting the loans, they were getting the PP loans. But you you have to remember how our businesses think and culture, how they were developed. You know, many of them thought that their banker was the same, the, the, the young lady at the teller desk that they went to week in and week out to make their deposits, or who they complained about uh, a check that, you know, uh, that they didn't write, right? They didn't have a banker slash financial advisor. Um, so a again, a lot of it went back to education and knowledge, I think, base. And, and that's an important thing as, as we're looking at developing inclusive economy is we can't just be inclusive in them and saying, hey, we got to do business with them. We, 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 we have to also know part of that inclusivity includes education. Um, and, 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 and giving them the knowledge that they need to be successful in a growing economy. I think that, you know, many of our, some of our policymakers sometimes have a good heart and they wanted to, you know, they come up with a, a fantastic policy that on the face of it is great. But as we start peeling it back, so to speak, we find how it has unintended consequences for those same exact people they intended to help. Um, so again, um, those are things that as we're looking at, you know, pro-growth policies that we need to be cognizant of, you know, how, you know, if we're going to be inclusive of everybody, you've got to look at the policy from that perspective too, that what are the unintended consequences, especially for those that they intend to, 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 to assist here, right? And so again, you know, we worked hard to, to be able to, to peel back those policies and, and make sure that they they are inclusive and even more so now uh, with COVID, you know, we, we saw how, how many resources were lacking uh, here. And, and I think in California, we're, we're in a unique situation, right? Um, and, and from the fact that, yeah, we're facing COVID-19, but last year we faced, faced many other disasters through fires, et cetera. Um, you know, we're, we're gonna be facing a, a drought coming up. You know, how do we how do we manage that and get our businesses through that as well as we're pulling them out of the COVID um, crisis? And now we're facing a, a statewide drought as well, as well as we could be facing a disastrous uh, a wildfires as well going in. So, again, you know, we need to do everything we can. Number one, that policies promote the growth are not restrictive, um, but also are cognizant of 
the diversity of California as as we move forward. Um, and I, I think that that will, you know, stimulate the growth and 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 the continued growth of our economy, make it even stronger than it was. Um, but you know, um, California is unlike any other state in the union, right? And and when you talk diversity, um, diversity is more than just, you know, I, I'd say in some states, it's to them, it's just black and white. And um, I, I remember a um, an executive just telling me that one time, he, and he was from North Carolina. He goes, what we're used to is the black community, the white community. And he goes, we come out here to California and we got 24 different um, uh, communities that we need to, you know, collaborate with and coordinate with and, and talk to. And and I think that's that's a lot of it um, that we need to do. And and I think Jay kind of hit on it. You know, it's about humanity. It's, it's about a little bit more harmony in, in how we do it. Um, you know, um, this is, is, is about people at the end of the day. Um, and, you know, as we do in our office, if the cultural purpose is about, you know, those people and their businesses and and creating stronger uh, businesses and, and making sure nobody's left behind is the most important part. And um, I think we can build a strong economy. But yes, it, it's it's imperative that we are cognizant of of of, um, of making sure that our 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 policies um, are pro growth and that they're inclusive um, and um, understand the diversity of California. And, and I think that will help us build a very inclusive economy throughout the state and recover from this pandemic and also prepare us to uh, um, get through uh, future disasters. Well, thank you very much, Julian. And uh, I hope there's some politicians out there taking notes uh, as we go through this. Uh, I think they would benefit from, from some of this. Uh, Rob, I think you're going to bring up the rear here, so to speak, and uh, we'd love to hear about your thoughts on this. Okay, thank you. Thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. Thank you for you know the Cato Institute, for what you stand for, your value system, commitment to free enterprise, everything that helps business create the jobs that moves our society forward and really funds our services. Uh, you know, it's also a pleasure for me to be here with my colleagues, first and foremost. You know, I uh, the roundtable joined with both of them last fall to be able to defeat one of the largest uh, tax increases in California history. Uh, Prop 15 was on the ballot in a pandemic uh, that was going to raise $12 billion on commercial property in the state of California. Why that's important is because that's a tax on small business. My colleagues joined together and drove with their members a message that if we increase property taxes, it's not the property owners that pay more, it's small business that pays more. And if they pay more, your customers pay more or they go out of business. And it was their voices from this inclusive sectors that we have that were instrumental in defeating this property tax increase. And I wanna thank them uh, publicly for being such critical leaders in that effort. So, you know, now we look ahead in, in what's coming for California's economy. And I 
appreciate your remarks on this. And I think it's important to be able to look at kind of where California has been over actually the last 20 to 30 years. I mean, we've been through some interesting times from a downturn in the early 90s. We had the dot-com bust with our economy in the early 2000s. And then we had a massive, obviously, recession, a historical recession 10 years ago. And now we came out of that. And here, just over 10 years later, we're in a pandemic recession. So the question for the roundtable and what my members look at is, what are the lessons we're learning? How have things changed? And what do we need to do to continue to support the creation of small businesses, but also all jobs throughout the state? And you know, you're going to have a very interesting lunch speaker uh, today with uh, Professor Kotkin, who has been looking at these issues for many years and has some very strong opinions. And I look forward to what he talks about today in regards to progressive policies and, and how that's impacting business. But for me today, I want to leave you with a couple thoughts. So one is, as we came out of the 2009 recession, California's economy had fundamentally changed because what we have now is we were growing high-wage jobs and low-wage jobs after that recession, especially in tourism and hospitality, but we were losing middle-class jobs. Our policies in California have continued to impact and decimate uh, manufacturing, for example housing in particular, we lost almost 70,000 jobs in construction, which we desperately need if we're going to you know, be able to provide homes for particularly our communities of color in the future, because that's their only path to wealth creation. But these jobs, we haven't recovered these jobs. I was just in Henderson, Nevada a few weeks ago, one of the largest growth areas in the West for small and medium-sized manufacturers leaving California. The growth there was phenomenal. And the services that they're providing that you could see as you walk around Henderson, phenomenal. So California, as, as we move forward, you know, our policies uh, as we came out of the 2009 recession focused more on how we were transforming our economy for the future through energy policy, through particularly when we look at electric vehicles and, and other issues, it didn't reflect a commitment to what we truly need to try and move these communities of color and small businesses and their sectors forward in a way that would truly be beneficial to long-term growth. Case in point, I, on this ballot, we just have the legislature passed a law that hurts and limits independent contractors in the state of California. How does that help our communities of color if they're small businesses, particularly, as Jay said, they're sole proprietorships, and yet we're limiting the opportunity for independent contractors? So those kinds of laws and the kinds of policies that California has moved forward in this progressive environment have essentially resulted in this. One, we have the highest gas taxes in the country. Two, we have the highest electricity prices in the country, both residential and most importantly, industrial, which again is especially at the heart of small manufacturing. We continue to have policies that raise the cost of living for business and for all Californians, 
And we're not passing policies that create balance to be able to move forward, uh, enhance job creation. So this is the challenge that we have with this legislature on just these separate areas without looking at our economy as a whole. So now we come to the pandemic. So what happened there? With the pandemic, our unemployment rate, particularly in the Latino communities, over 20% unemployment. Uh, for the black communities, over 20% unemployment. Now those numbers are coming back down, but this is particularly even higher when you look across our rural communities. So when you look at now what has happened since over the past year, you know, the governor had convened an economic recovery task force. We really didn't see much come out of that task force. And the business community has banded together to put together a recovery package over this past year that focused on what will help in this transformation in this pandemic, our economy to actually grow jobs. The key to that, telecommuting. So we put forward a policy to the governor and the legislature on how we can reshape our economy based on what's happening now with particularly tech, having the ability to telecommute, keep our jobs almost from anywhere and be able to essentially keep our employment base and be able to grow for the future. We have not been able to get any traction on any kind of comprehensive telecommuting policy and, and modernizing our employment laws that will send a message to employers that California understands what they are facing in this pandemic, understands how things are changing rapidly in the workplace, but more importantly, wants them to stay here and is willing to adapt its policies to be able to hopefully grow here uh, as we come out of this pandemic. So we have a lot of work to do. And if we can together work on some of these policies, we not only will obviously continue to drive down our unemployment rate, but most importantly, we'll create in these key sectors, the opportunity to have a very rapid recovery. But one last point. So as we now come out of this pandemic, we still face huge challenges for our low wage job uh, employees. So particularly tourism has been decimated, as we know. Restaurants have been decimated. And so, yes, now to the governor's credit, he has passed a, a, a recent package that will help provide some assistance and funding uh, for some of these individual businesses. Uh, and, you know, this is going to be for them a key lifeline for them to be able to get on their feet. The governor did a very good job in moving forward on that package. Now they're working on a bill to be able to conform our state tax laws to the federal laws in forgiving PPP loans. Again, a critical piece of what we need for recovery. And to the governor's credit, they are fast tracking that right now and we expect that to get done. But while we do those pieces, we have to be able to, again, provide in flexibility 
for employers, particularly smaller and medium-sized employers, to be able to adapt to these circumstances. We need, um, for example, help on um, liability relief so that as employers recover with their employees, their first and foremost focus is protecting their employees and their customers, but they have to know they get back on their feet. They're not gonna get some crazy losses thrown down as well if something happens. We have key pieces that still need to get done that aren't being discussed. So we're all working together these kinds of pieces. We have to do that in order to be able to recover. We have to recover our tech sector, but we have to recover all of our sectors. And we want to be able to do that so that we don't put pressure on people like we've seen over the last year and a half. We've lost 600,000 Californians to other states to be able to have to move because the cost of living under these policies is too high. They don't, they only see it getting higher and they have no flexibility or options unless they move to other states to be able to afford a home or be able to provide for their families over the long term, uh, particularly in communities of color. So with that, we look forward to the discussion. Thank you for the opportunity today. Well, thank you very much, Rob. Appreciate it. And uh, all the work you do that all of you do. Appreciate you being here today. I think we're getting a theme that's beginning to emerge here, and I'm sure we'll hear more of it. Uh, once again, we do want you all to be part of the conversation, and you can write in on your questions on your various event platforms, whether it's Facebook or YouTube or the Cato site or the Swap Cards uh, official site on this, or you can use the hashtag Cato California on Twitter. And we do have a number of questions that have come in already on this, so I'm going to start throwing them out uh, right away. One of these comes from our, our, our Adolfo Garcia, who's on the virtual event platform, and he notes that Long Beach recently imposed a $4 an hour increase in the minimum wage there. And one of the immediate results was that Kroger uh, is closing its gro four of its grocery store outfits uh, outlets there, particularly those in poor and underserved neighborhoods. Uh, he says, you know, what, what can we do to uh, explain to politicians uh, about basic economics? So, so talk to anybody wants to take that. I'll, I'll be happy to go first if that just very quickly. So uh, that is an issue. And it's also a great example of what's happening of what we're talking about in terms of some of the progressive policies that are being pushed that, you know, are thinking that they're for helping people when in the reality it hurts people because they don't understand the economics. So it's a great point. It's called heroes pay. So certain unions are taking advantage of the pandemic to be able to push for policies that they have wanted and haven't succeeded in for years and years. And so this is an example of one of those. You try and raise wages for grocery store workers without looking at obviously what's happening when you know stores are taking a hit uh, in this pandemic as well. Yes, they're making money, but what's their actual margin? So what happened with Kroger is they were crystal clear. The stores in that community have never performed in a way that truly is profitable. And so they were forced into making a tough decision. They can't afford increased wages, they said that. And instead they had to make the decision to, unfortunately, and to their you know, great sadness, they had to lay off their employees. Uh, this is the kind of thing that California can't afford 
in this kind of environment. We have to think bigger. We have to think in a much more strategic way. And when you get pieces like that, like the independent contractor law, those are the things that are going to set us back and hurt our recovery. Very much. Anybody else have anything they want to add to that? Or if not, I'll move on to the, to the guys. I've got a bunch of questions here. Yeah, yeah, Michael. So, so I think it goes back to what I said about unintended consequences, right, on a policy. And, and, and here you have, you know, a company that has maybe a store that is not hugely profitable, but, you know, enough that they can keep it open. And now this hero's pay kicks in and they realize we, we can't keep that store open anymore. And unfortunately, it impacted probably a diverse employment base of about 50 percent. Right. We're probably Latinos, uh, African-Americans, Asians, et cetera. Uh, and it was in a low income neighborhood. But if they kept it open, prices would have gone up and that would have impacted the consumer. So, again, you know, when they're not thinking out these concepts of of uh, or policies, um, you know, flushing them out fully of, of what the unintended consequences could uh, or may be, I think, is, is again, one of the, one of the big issues uh, that we face. And, and this also impacts, you know, Rob was talking about we we weren't growing our middle class. And all we do with some of these policies, such as this heroes pay is, yeah, OK, you, you pay them a dollar more and then you you, you raise your cost, you know, substantially um, uh, as a consumer of what they have to buy and you know, food, et cetera. So. You for a minute here uh, on this next question, because I'm going to combine uh, several questions that I've gotten that have to do with immigration. Uh, <clears throat> the need for immigration reform, the need for something to deal. Uh, you know, I was recently out when I could go to California before the pandemic shut down travel. Uh, I talked with a lot of folks, particularly down in the Central Valley, who said that Latinos were, uh, in many cases, afraid to go get business licenses, afraid to deal with government agencies that might uh, that might otherwise help them start their businesses, uh, even afraid to get banks uh, accounts set up uh, because of the crackdown on immigration. And we know uh, that uh, immigrants actually tend to create more businesses than native-born Americans. So is it, is it important that we have some sort of, that we deal with the immigration problem uh, in order to get California moving again? I guess I should take the first stab at this one. Um, <laughs> yes, I think we, we, we definitely need, you know, some type of comprehensive reform. The chamber has always supported um, that position. Um, you know, um, former President Bush had a great interview on, on the Today Show about immigration and then they swore in some, uh, uh, some new citizens uh, back in New York. Um, um, but, you know, he, he called it, he, he said, what did he say he wanted to call it? Not immigration, but uh, a border with compassion, right? He said um, that the border has to have compassion. We, we have to have a policy. I mean, we, we have to, you know, there are jobs here in, in this state that um, only immigrants will take and, and perform for us. So again, I, I think it's important that we, we, we have some type of comprehensive reform on immigration and, and system, you know, uh, pathway to citizenship uh, for individuals. Yeah, I don't think it's immigration that's the issue. I think it's illegal immigration. Right. Mm -hmm. And we um we have a help system here. Some people call it welfare. 
And uh, we pay into the help system. Some of us, uh, you know, with our taxes that we pay from our checks, we become unemployed and we have an unemployment system. And it's supposed to be here to help us. And so um, we have to figure out how honest we're going to be in having this conversation, right? Because when we talk about immigrants, we normally talk about brown and black people. But there are illegal immigrants that are white people, too, from Russia, from Australia, from the UK, um, from Canada, from other places, that we um, we act as though that illegal immigrants are only black or brown people. Uh, we have an issue in this country with um, immigration, uh, illegal immigrants in particular, that we have to discuss and we have to be humane. And I believe um, of all the nations in the world, we open ourselves up to immigration, uh, more immigrants than any other country in the world. And at a certain point in time, we got to say, you know, we can only let so many people in until some people go out. It's like, you know, if, if you're if you're in a at an event, some people have to come in so other people can go out, but you can't once it gets overpacked. I think we're getting to the space to where we're we're overpacking this country. And um, and we can't make it about politics, and you know, um, and I don't I don't know who's at the border doing what. I just know that um, humanity has to be at the forefront of what we do. When we have young people, kids in particular, who are without their parents, um, and we have them in cages and such, that's a problem. Um, and but I think it's you know we have to figure we have to really have a. This is a tough. This is one of those uncomfortable conversations that we have to have. But because we're in such a space where political correctness is what we live for, right? So we can't be honest. We can't really have a heart, heartfelt conversation about right or wrong here because we've been lying to each other for a long time under the auspices of political correctness. Well, let me stay with you for a minute, Jay, for our next question. We have a question that came in from David uh, McAvoy on the virtual platform. Uh, the, the percentage of uh, closures for African-American small business, that's really an appalling number that you yeah. that you demonstrate. That's that's really bad. Uh, do you have any information on how that compares to other other states? And then I'll throw this in open, not just to you, but everyone else. How much of this is due to the pandemic itself, to people's behavior because of the pandemic, and how much of it can be traced to the various shutdowns and capacity restrictions and things of that nature? Okay, so first, um, that number is across the board. It's not just in the state of California, okay. that 40% number. It's probably higher in some other areas. So uh, it's uh, across the board around 40% of African-American small businesses. And it's due to the fact that um, some of these businesses were already on shaky ground. So, you, you know, um, when you look at banking and you don't have access, when small, most small businesses, African-American, um, they don't have access to loans and different resources that other business folk have. And um, systemically, this has happened in banking and, uh, when it comes to loans and such. So a lot of what starts their business is their own personal money. And so they're already at a deficit coming in and they're not investors. So I'm an investor. I invest in the stock market. I invest in cryptocurrency. I'm an options trader. You know, I, I, I have royalties coming in from songs that I wrote. I'm not the average business guy. I'm not the average 
African American, um, and out in the, in the space. So we have to um, really make sure that we become more cognizant when it comes to investing. I I, I think financial literacy should be the number one issue in the black community. That should be what our leadership should be speaking to us about financial literacy, becoming um, uh, investors in the market. We um, make up 13 and a half percent of the population in the United States. We make up less than 1% of um, individual investors in the stock market. And those are the things I think that we have to change. Terrific. Uh, Rob, I'm going to go to you with this next question that came in. Um, we see uh, from Tracy Math, uh, Matthew on the virtual platform. Uh, she wants to know, they're working to try and increase employment through clean water projects. And of course, water is a huge problem in California uh, and has been for a long time. Uh, what do you see in terms of job creation and entrepreneurship opportunities uh, around water projects and, and the need for water reform in California? Okay, thank you. Uh, if I could just add something to Jay, financial literacy for all communities as well. He hit the nail right on the head. And that, again, is a reflection of our education system. Uh, something hopefully I'll take a look at. So thank you for the question. Julian mentioned earlier, you know, we face these crises, fire, but now drought. So drought's coming quickly to the forefront, third driest year on record this year. Uh, and we haven't even begun to touch what some of the challenges are going to be, not just for agriculture, but across the board for obviously all businesses. And then what the costs of that are going to be as well. You know, we, we consider water to be, again, one of the innovation areas. That is part of California's uh, perception across the country, the perception is the reality. We are the innovation capital, both in terms of overall investment. And it's not just in tech, it's not just now in electric vehicles, but the innovation occurs in, in all of these areas. Water is one of them as well. We see growth in those kind of technologies. We you know, are obviously in a discussion right now in what's happening you know, around desalinization. Uh, and growing bigger projects to meet California's water needs, especially as we, if we experience more droughts and climate change. Uh, but the water treatment projects also part of that. Uh, we are going to expect to see a lot more money from the state to be able to address some of those projects, both clean water and um, <coughs> desalinization. So we think the future is one of growth throughout the state in California, and it needs to be to be able to meet the demands if we're going to have these drier years. So we that's what we anticipate coming. All right. Um, I've, got, I've got a couple of questions that have come in on AB5 uh, mm -hmm. and suggested, you know, we know that a lot, there's been enough carve outs now that, uh, you know, it's sort of a rickety edifice that still remains on AB5. Uh, as, as one group after another has managed to get an exemption, but it still sits out there. Uh, what do you see as the future of AB5 and what should be the future of uh, that sort of, of the gig economy in California? I personally think AB5 should go away. <laughs> it is difficult for someone to tell, even in, in the music business, if you're, a, if you're a group and you have musicians playing behind you, and you're the front person of that group, you can't make more than two times what they make. 
So let's just say you have a uh, a group and then they have a band playing behind them. Those band members can't make can't make less than two times more than them. So now you're you're regulating. Uh, I built this group. Uh, th- this band is a hired band. You're regulating. You're telling me what my band members can can make, um, and that's not that's not going to work in our business. Um, you have a lot of groups who have original members, and then they have a backing band that that didn't make the music with them, that wasn't part of the whole process. And um, just that alone is a problem. And then in, in, in our communities, in these gig economies, when you look at Lyft and, and, and rideshare companies and these food delivery companies, some of these guys that are getting jobs in my community are guys who are just getting out of prison that can't just find work. This is the work that they can find. So if you make it that they have to be uh, employees uh, and they can't, and they can't be sole proprietors who work when they want to, because this is just might be one of two or three jobs that they do in order to make ends meet. I, th- I just think that it, it hurts our community more than it helps. And I, I, j- I personally wish that it would just go away. And yeah, you know, eight, go on, Rob. Please go ahead. No, I said, you know, within our within the Hispanic business community, AB five just kind of rallied a lot, a lot of our business owners, right? Um, because they saw what it was going to do in the cost, you know, of doing business for them. But I think more importantly, one of the things they they, they saw too that um, it would stifle innovation in California, right? right? right. Rather than just saying, hey, we got people that that I just want to contract with to, to help me research this or, or figure out how do I, uh, you know, transfer technology over, et cetera. So I, I think that was the biggest thing. And I, I, and I think, you know, when they had the proposition on the ballot, that was one thing Californians saw, right? That this was going to stifle the gig economy, right. uh, but all economies across the board in California. But I think more importantly, also innovation, right? The, and, and the fear that I can't innovate because I can't afford it. Uh, because of this regulation. Yeah. You know, Michael, if I can add in, so they said it perfectly, just, you know, this is a perfect example again of California's progressive policies. It should have never been signed. So the unions are trying to gain leverage over especially innovation companies to for future, you know, labor union jobs. And what does it do? It sends a message across the country that California is essentially looking at innovation in a completely different way. It's only going to hurt our ability to recruit and attract these kind of companies because they have to fall under a law that doesn't exist anywhere else. And our only regret on, or our biggest regret on this is Prop 22 when it passed last fall, didn't include all companies. I mean, if you have to pass a law and then do all these carve outs, that tells you, you got a big fat problem with the law in the first place and it shouldn't exist. Number one, number two, we wish the rideshare companies would have broadened that initiative so it just wiped it off the books and not just exempted themselves from it as well. Right. But it's right. going to be an ongoing battle. Yeah, yeah it was interesting, uh, of course, that, that uh, the sort of partial repeal passed by such a large margin uh, in California. So it, it shows People that- get it. They yep. get it. You know, and again, especially with the sole proprietorships, to to Jay's point earlier, why we would handcuff that is beyond belief. 
you, you know, Michael, um, you know, we, we, we had stories from people that this is how they got into business, become right. an entrepreneur, right. uh, whether it's right share or being an independent contractor for, you know, someone like, like one of us, right. And, and it got him into creating a business. And so again, back to stifling the different economies here in California, it wasn't just about right share. It, it was about all economies and, and all business sectors that it was going to also stifle the growth and the development of new business, new enterprises here in California. Well, ec economic reform is often tied to reform in other areas, certainly other areas that the Cato Project on Poverty and Inequality are looking at. One of them is, is education and the, the need for education reform in the state. Uh, California is at the bottom in performance uh, in reading and math, uh, particularly bad uh, in uh, underserved communities. And we know COVID had a particular impact in communities of color uh, in terms of schools being shut, uh, lack of alternatives uh, for students there. Uh, are your organizations doing anything in terms of advocating for school reform? Uh, this is a, a question from uh, Carol Mathias uh, on the virtual platform. So let me just tell you, I work with Highlands Community Charter School, it's an adult charter school. If you're 22 years or older without a high school diploma, you can go to Highlands. Not only will they help you earn your high school diploma, <laughs> they'll help you find a career pathway and it doesn't cost you a dime. And right now I'm in a fight to make sure that that school isn't shut down because Kevin McCarty, um, one of our legislators here, is trying to make it that if you're over 24 years old, you can't go to that school. And which is crazy because the average African-American male that is going to Highlands is 32 years old. So 30% of African-Americans in the state of California are without a high school diploma. 30%, that's three in 10. And when we shut down these types of um, schools, when we, the adult education, giving people a second chance, it is, um, it is frightening. There needs to be reform, uh, reforming of our, um, schooling system because it's not doing a job. When 30% of a certain segment of people are without high school diplomas, you have to look at what our system looks like. And, um, you know, the, um, the teachers union is very powerful. And the state of, in the state of California, African-American males are five times more likely to be um, expelled from school from the same uh, behavior that their white counterparts have. In Sacramento, it's 11 times. So there has to be a lot of reform. There has to be a lot. This is, to me, this is a time for us to retool a lot of things. And um, I hope that um, we all really take the time. I mean, I, I can't say it enough to, to be human with each other, to make humanity our number one cause as a society so that we can um, be better. Anyone else? Yes. Uh, if I could add on to that, it's very well said, but you know, let's be clear as we know schools are at the heart of our economic recovery mm -hmm. period. So our heart breaks for the kids, particularly the inner city kids, you know, who have not been going to public school, who have not uh, wanted to go back in this pandemic while we watch private schools gear back up with proper mitigations and have been committed to getting their students back 
uh, under proper guidelines to be able to have some sort of in-person schooling. And public schools, you know, for the most part have not. And that is going to have a long-term impact on our economy, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we don't even know what the long-term impact is going to be yet, but kids are now at minimum of a year behind. How they make that up, we don't know. Uh, there should be you know, a convening of the top educators and business across the board to be able to try and figure out how we're gonna try and make that up. You know, the governor is working to get them back. He's providing more money but every time we seem to be able to have a discussion about that, they seem to you know, implement another roadblock. And if we don't get our kids back full time in the fall, everybody back you know, with mitigations for whatever the, you know, the pandemic numbers look like at that time, we may lose kids forever. I mean, high school particularly drop out, never come back. What does that mean for their future? And then what does that mean for our employment base? Uh, we already have you know, hundreds of thousands lost from our labor force mm -hmm. under the pandemic, uh, and we can't afford to lose any more. And education is the key to that, and they have to step up now and take a leadership role. And so we're going to be focused on that with the governor and what's coming ahead for the fall. Yeah, I think I think that, you know, education is, is really, as, as both I think Jay and, and Rob have said, is, is really uh, the base for business, right? Yes. Where do we get our workforce, right? Um, out of our high schools many times, you know, and through the colleges, but they they, they continue on to college. But it, I think for business, it's important that we have a skilled, educated, you know, basically educated workforce yes. that can come out of these schools. And, you know, as, as Rob said, they're give, they're, there's more money and there was more money, but I think the concentration, uh, Michael, to the to the topic here has to be inclusive mm -hmm. and it has to concentrate on the students. It can't be spent on all these other things. It's got to be spent on the kids. And, and, and we as businesses have a vested interest in them coming out of there, you know, with a basic education and basic skills. So, And it, Michael, this is at the very heart of inclusion and equity. So we talk about those things. But this is where the rubber meets the road. Right. And now coming through with the pandemic, if they don't move forward and do what needs to get done, then that seriously questions, you know, what the commitment is to those principles moving forward. Mm -hmm. I, we can't again, we can't afford to lose any more. And we have to have schools go back so our parents can get back to work. Right. Uh, that's what's hurting some of the recovery right now. They're they yeah. still have to homeschool their kids. They got to be there for their kids. And that is something that if we don't have it by come August, the economic recovery is going to be dramatically impacted. And that is and that goes back to even when your parents, when you have an educated parent, the children are more likely to be educated. Yes. So we have to make sure that we our adult education system isn't lost in this whole deal that we don't. Because once we start throwing away parents, we start throwing away kids. And the next time I'll be talking to you, I'll be saying 50% of African-Americans uh, are without a high school diploma in the state of California because, because, we're, because we lose a whole next generation. generation. Well, thank you all very much. I really appreciate your uh, input on this. <clears throat> I think we set the sort of the broad agenda here that we really need to do something in terms of 
making it easier to start businesses and create jobs. And we need to get uh, the state of California out of the way as well as local governments and county governments, all, all of which are a burden here. Uh, our next uh, panel uh, is going to discuss that in more depth. It's going to be looking at uh, regulatory reform, the key to economic growth. Uh, right now, we're going to take a 15-minute break. Uh, so we'll start up again at 1045. Uh, those of you on the Swap Card platform, the official platform uh, for this event, uh, you can go into a discussion room if you want and keep this discussion going. We hope you'll uh, take this opportunity to network and talk to folks uh, and continue to be part of this. Otherwise, we will see you all back here at, in 15 minutes. Thank you. <laughs>